This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Sure, I saw this beautiful ceiling and uh, we probably had a meeting here when uh, Rich Lynx was, was pastor of the church uh, way back when. So, um, you know, I've, I told uh, Kara, I've been in um, four different Presbyterian churches since I came back in 2016. My home is now in Derry, so I'm sort of near those grandchildren. Um, and my wife has someone to uh, uh, be around when I travel uh, a lot for my job with Foreman. But um, it's just a delight to be with part of the family. And uh, Deb, sorry she couldn't make it. She woke up feeling sick, and we have our daughter and her fiancé coming in this week. So she needed to kind of uh, rest and recuperate. Well, as we come to the second passage, uh, it, it'll get the theme pretty clearly. It's about, uh, again, trying to be people of peace, uh, certainly in the turmoil and the troubles of even our age and our world. And I'm going to snatch a verse 14, and then we'll go to 17 to 21 from Paul's letter to the Romans. So, so hear now God's word. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts to believe in this word. Word, open our minds to understand this word. Uh, Open our lives to follow this, your life-giving word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, up in New Hampshire, where Deb and I reside, our uh, twin grandchildren, uh, Bella and Samuel, just finished their spring travel soccer season. And watching them play takes me back 25 years to when I coached their dad at about this age. And those days of coaching were like Dickens' Tale of Two Cities. They were the best of times. They were the worst of times. And what were the worst of times when you had a bad referee and your boys were playing their hearts out? Uh, I remember one particular incident when there was a team that showed up that played rather dirty. I mean, uh, by that I mean they were hitting and elbowing players after they had uh, kicked the ball away. Uh, They would go after the goalie when they didn't even have And the goalie was my son, so I was livid at this uh, team. And the ref wasn't calling it. He was a young youth ref. It was an indoor soccer game. Uh, It was being played particularly hard. And I was a little bit worried that the boys would get injured. So I did something I had never done as a coach before. I called them over to the side and I said this. Obviously, the ref is not going to protect you. And I know your opponents are trying to hurt you. So do what you have to do to protect yourselves, okay? And block their access to our goalie when he has to come out. Uh, And when they're elbowing you, shove back if you have to. We didn't start this, but you have my support if you have to defend yourself. We escaped with a win, 
We had no serious injuries, but I was never so upset at a game in my life. Was I right to coach the boys this way? Uh, Should I have told them to turn the other cheek? Bless those who are trying to deck them. them. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write Romans 12, do your best to live at peace uh, with all, also wrote Romans 13 where he said, hey, the emperor has the power of the sword to punish perpetrators of evil. Well, what do we do when the authority figure is asleep at the switch? You know, what do we do when the refs won't call it fair? Paul even said in his letter to Timothy, I fought the good fight. He knew there were times we had to fight for what's right. Is there ever a time to fight back? What about the Old Testament? It tells us there's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth in justice. Of course, the pacifist Gandhi said, an eye for an eye will make the whole world blind one day. Violence or nonviolence? Protect yourself or be defenseless and forgive those who are out to cause you harm. Which is harder? Which is better? Allow me to give you one more story before I start to help answer these questions uh, that I think trouble us all at times if we've been under some unfair uh, dominion. When I was a volunteer missionary in Ethiopia, there was a man named Don McClure Sr. who had uh, been a career missionary serving in this land for 40 years, was a friend of Haile Selassie, uh, who was a ruler but had just been deposed. And uh, Don McClure was accosted by bandits one night uh, near the border of Somalia, and he was shot and killed on the field. His 40-year-old son had been with him, but he miraculously escaped those bandits in the turmoil of the night. And uh, he got up the next day, uh, came out of hiding, buried his father, was able to call in uh, for mission rescue, and a plane came and flew him out. Don McClure Sr. died in a land he loved, in the midst of a tribal people he was trying to bring the gospel to, uh, good, or how to bless our enemies, without dealing with the harsh and true realities that this message was written to a church that was going to suffer and people were going to die for their faith. We're not talking about just losing a few friends or maybe losing a few business deals. Uh, We are talking about the loss of life for the gospel. Paul wasn't naive. The context of this passage was active persecution starting against the church. And it would eventually lead to martyrdom. He knew that. And, uh, and, and they lived in a time when there was naked prejudice and even physical violence and lawlessness against God's people. And so this is serious, high commitment, world uh, astounding Christianity that Paul calls us to. And this uh, is, is really, uh, I think, the kind of faith and ethic uh, that many Christians still follow today. Many Christians still follow today in dozens of countries where there is absolute prejudice against being a Christian. It's well documented and human life there is, is counted as expendable. Uh, Nero, who rose to power after Paul, Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, uh, burned Christians at the stake. Did Paul write to these believers, arm yourself, defend yourself, my friends? No. He said, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. How could he say that? 
How can he tell them to walk that road when everything in human nature says, uh, defend yourself? Or as I coached my team, you know, uh, watch out, protect yourselves in this situation. How do we follow the ethic of non-defense in the face uh, of, of, of oppressive, crushing violence? Uh, maybe we can learn from Paul. Uh, maybe we can learn from Paul, who followed the one who stood before all that Roman oppression, who faced one of the most miserable torture instruments ever known to men, the cross, the cross you have lit up here. And what did Jesus say from the cross as the Romans put him to death? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus showed us how good overcomes evil. And that's why the presiding soldier at the foot of the cross, who had seen many different criminals executed, shook his head in disbelief practically and said, surely this was a righteous man. Christ showed him the love that God can put in us, which goes against our human nature. That's why Paul, when he stood at the sidelines of Stephen being stoned, one of the first Christian martyrs, and Paul had encouraged this in Acts chapter 7 and 8, gives his life to Christ by Acts chapter. Paul was affected by that astounding, nonviolent suffering of the Christians. And so when we follow Christ, we not only learn how to live, we learn how to die heroically, lovingly, forgiving even our enemies. Now this is radical stuff. You're probably wondering, where's he going with this? I'm going right to where Paul went. It's of God when good can overcome evil. It's of God when we can forgive those who have oppressed us or hurt us. When we can live at peace with even those people who make our lives miserable. I, I deeply admire the people of nonviolence who courageously choose not to defend themselves in following this commandment of love. And sometimes I think it takes more bravery to walk away from a fight uh, than to hit back. Uh, please realize both Paul and Jesus taught nonviolence to people who are subject to one of the most violent nations of the world. That's what I've been trying to make. For Christians uh, to ever have been part of an armed uprising in their day and age would have been uh, insanity. It would have been suicidal. Countless Jewish rebels had tried to rebel against Rome and they were slaughtered in war. So Paul could have said, hey, it's pointless. We'll never win. So the only way we win is surrender. But I think he's also trying to say this, God's ways are not our ways. Good doesn't become like evil. Good overcomes evil. I now realize today, 25 years later, the better move I would have, should have made on that soccer field where the boys were being pushed around is that I should have called them over and withdrawn from the game as a protest. Yes, it would have meant a loss, but it would have been a powerful statement to the league about what was happening to them on that field. I wish I knew then what I know now, and this is point number one of this sermon, that for us to be peacemakers often means walking away from a fight, not continuing it. We have little chance of winning many of these confrontations, and we have no business in prolonging them. And so as Christians, sometimes it takes more bravery to say, I'm not participating. Jesus and Paul showed us this. They moved out of harm's way. Jesus withdrew from confrontation until God finally said it's time to go into Jerusalem 
where you're going to meet with the high authorities who are going to put you to death. He knew this. He predicted it. His disciples didn't want to hear it. Uh, but this is what he knew had coming. He had parents who knew how to withdraw from conflict, right? When Herod was threatening to kill the infant Jesus, his parents fled to Egypt. Sometimes flight is the best path. In his public ministry, Jesus kept out of the cities. He kept in the, in the uh, um, places in the peaceful countryside that were neglected, where he didn't have confrontation. The apostle Paul would go into a town, preach, there'd be a riot. He'd go out of town and go to a place that was more peacefully until he was finally arrested. Fleeing persecution is a perfectly acceptable moral alternative when enemies can't be pacified. It's one reason why I would tell you I believe we need to open and work to open the countries in the West for those who are fleeing the wars in the Middle East and in Africa, especially Christians who are trying to be people of peace. After the death of Don McClure Sr. in Ethiopia, the mission personnel a few months later pulled out. Our embassy had already been kicked out of the country. The Cubans had come in uh, to help the new rulers of Ethiopia. And so we realized we had no protection uh, anymore. It was time to leave. The church of Ethiopia was persecuted after that time, but it grew tremendously as it turned to God. Similar thing happened in Pakistan. The mission presence of the Presbyterian Church really left <clears throat> in the late 70s when so the Presbyterian Church really left in the late 70s, when Zia al-Haq came in and made Pakistan an Islamic Republic and made it very hard for foreigners and for Christians to be there. What happened to the church? The Pakistan church had to rise up and do the work itself. And so when the Presbyterians left Foreman, the, it, was the, it was the Pakistani Christians who pressed through the courts and got the Supreme Court decision that Foreman belonged back to its international owner. Uh, we were reluctant, as I said, to go there and to uh, take it over. But when we did partner with that, uh, uh, that Pakistani church, um, that university has flourished. Foreman's gone from 5,000 students to 8,000 students. It's gone from a place where no education was happening to where world-class education has returned. In fact, one cabinet minister said, when we, when we took over this college, it cost us money and we had no education going on. We gave it back to the missionaries. It cost us serve. As missionaries, we come to serve as Christians, and they've seen the difference. So point number one, walk away if that's an option. That's how we overcome violence. Second point I would make is this. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul's teaching is to bless our persecutors and love our enemies, but it does not mean we stay in intolerable situations or even allow them to continue. I would tell any woman who's being battered uh, or any uh, home where there's child abuse that after confrontation, if there's no change, you need to leave that home. You need to get safe until there can be someone who can come and help uh, make sure there's a change in who's ever been perpetrating that violence. If you're in a work situation where things are, are totally unfair and something wrong has happened to you and they won't address it or change it, it might be time to get a new job or find a good attorney. Even Paul appealed to Roman law when he needed it from time to time. Overcoming evil doesn't mean we're always patsies. Roman law when he needed it from time to time. Overcoming evil doesn't mean we're always patsies to evil that we come up against. We pursue any legal or peaceful means to overcome injustice. That's part of what Paul did. That's part of what the church has always done. 
at Foreman Christian College, uh, we're in a situation where uh, in educating uh, men and women, we have women who will come out of abusive situations. I met with one young Muslim woman who had a stepfather that was abusing her in her home. Her mother was doing nothing about it. She eventually brought her story up to our Dean of Students, uh, Cheryl Burke, who's a Presbyterian from Atlanta. And Cheryl said, we will immediately take care of this. You can move into a dorm room right now. We will post, we have guards all around the campus. The uh, government asked us to do that. We will post your stepfather's picture and not allow him to step on this property. You will be safe at Foreman Christian College. In Pakistan, you can divorce your parents and you have a volunteer attorney who gives his time and got her uh, separated from that family so that they had no legal rights over her and she was emancipated. So part of overcoming evil is fighting injustice and helping others flee uh, when they need a partner uh, in that situation. Uh, peacemaking and peacekeeping, though, isn't just avoiding conflict or getting out of danger. And I would turn to this as my third point. Peacemaking or peacekeeping is creating what the Bible calls shalom, wholeness, goodness on all levels. I draw you to the point in the text where Paul said that uh, we're to be at peace with all people as far as it depends on with us. So I say that the Lord calls us beyond leaving conflicts and joining people uh, in injustice is to join everyone socially and emotionally and to live in harmony. Uh, do as much as we can to bring shalom to our settings. Shalom to our settings. Uh, when you're a Presbyterian minister, you usually work within a five-mile radius of your church. You know, all your life is here. Now, as a mission executive, I'm traveling all over the world. So I get to enjoy the wonders of modern air travel these days. You know, you know what I mean if you've been traveling for a while? They take oversized humans and they put them in undersized seats, jam full planes with very tired personnel who have flown probably more flights than they should. And I found that, you know, there's not someone there to help you very often. I had uh, one flight, it was, gonna, it was a red eye, uh, a man jams his seat back, my drink spills in my lap and down into my open uh, bag. Nobody is, is giving me napkins from the, from the service personnel. It was only my neighbors who saw the plight and threw their cocktail napkins to help me sort of you know, get myself uh, set. I, I had one flight where there was a fidgety woman. It was an overnight from um, San Francisco, and I lent her my phone battery just so she might listen to me let that battery get burned up overnight. Uh, I've noticed that the less stressed I am, the better I can work at living in harmony with all people. You seen that, teachers, business people? Seen that, anybody who lives in community? In fact, I've learned that when the weather rolls in and the flight's going to be delayed or even canceled, uh, I can be a peacemaker or I can be a troublemaker. I can be the angry customer who tries to bully my way into the next flight or the next seat, or I can be the sympathetic, compassionate soul asking for mercy. Which do you think gets a better outcome? I've found that I often get the last seat or the last car in the rental lot when I'm trying to come with that sense of shalom, with that sense of sympathy, with that understanding that they didn't do anything about the clouds that are in the air or the plane that broke down and, and neither did I, maybe we can solve this together. If it's possible, and neither did I, maybe we can solve this together. If it's possible, as far as it depends upon you, I love this, it sounds lawyer-like, live at peace with everyone. Easier said than done, but very good advice. 
One international flight I had from Istanbul this last year, I was seated next to a Muslim, Muslim woman with her young toddler. So there wasn't going to be much conversation, but there was going to be a lot of noise and action on this 14-hour flight. And I was just saying, help me, Jesus. Help me, Jesus, on this one. And finally, I turned to the uh, flight attendant. I said, if there's an empty seat, I'm happy to move to give her a little more room with this young one. Yeah. She goes, oh, well, we'll see. We'll see. Let me, let me see the passengers. Lo and behold, her husband comes on. And they had booked last minute and had to be in separate sections. And she said, oh, the husband would like to change seats with you. I said, by all means, let him be here with his young child. And uh, no patience, you can be rewarded. That's how I felt. If you ask me to summarize this sermon, I would say this. Evil will only be overcome with good, heroic, sacrificial peacemaking. The famous story about Abraham Lincoln and the uh, discussion that, uh, that occurred among his historically opinionated cabinet after the end of the war. Uh, the South had been defeated. Uh, it was the bloodiest war ever. Uh, there was great heartache on both sides. And Lincoln's Secretary of War, Edward Stanton, was arguing for an unmerciful treatment of the South, a hard peace that would bring them to their knees and teach them to never rise up again. Mr. President, the Secretary of War thundered, you must destroy your enemies. Mr. Secretary, Lincoln said with faith and frontier logic, haven't I destroyed my enemies when I've made them my friends? We can do that at work. We can build bridges to people who tried to sink us. We can help neighbors who are unkind. We can shovel them out or we can take in their mail or do whatever it takes to kind of show them that we care for them, even if they haven't cared for us. We can forgive family members who have wounded us and show them that we care for them, even if they haven't cared for us. We can forgive family members who have wounded us. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. Paul wrote, you even get to think you're heaping coals upon his head. I love that sort of little twist to it. Uh, you know, smile, they'll wonder what you're up to. Um, we are called to a ministry of forgiveness and reconciliation, and it will take the power of God to do that in our lives. Peacekeeping is not for wimps. It's not easy. In fact, it's often quite costly. And Paul knew that. Don McClure, the missionary to Ethiopia, knew that. Christians in Pakistan know that. Some fights we get to walk away from. Sometimes we have to cling fast to justice and refuse to be pushed aside. Mostly we're called to forgive and move on or move in and serve and make a difference. This is the calling of being a Christian in this world, even with forgiveness. It doesn't, further, uh, it, it doesn't help to further generational hatred and wounds. You lay them at the foot of the cross and you say, because God has forgiven me, I now forgive you. And guess what? We're both free. That's what it takes to be peacekeepers. And that's why peacekeepers are so rare and yet so valuable and so necessary. So let's ask God to do his work in us so we can do his work of making peace in this world. Let's pray. Lord, you didn't just call us to peace, but you laid down your life as that peace offering to God. Thank you for the forgiveness we know in Christ, and may we now practice that 
in our world, wherever you've put us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.